intermittent fasting. That's my breakfast. A cup of water. Then <laughs> I, I sit down and write for two hours, and then I go to work. I'm not part of any breakfast clubs. Except on weekends, I'll have a lean five eggs. Maybe some <laughs> bu- butter eggs. on them, and that's it. Yeah. No, no carbs, no toast, nothing. And I don't even cook them. I just crack them right into my mouth. Crack them? I eat the shells. Oh, wow. You Reptilian. Are- Dude, you're so tough. How do you get so tough? Swallow them whole, no gag reflex. <laughs> get the large ones. They crack in my stomach when they land on each other. Oh my gosh, this got off the rails. Hi everybody in podcast <laughs> land and also on YouTube. This is the show. Yep. This you, is what you signed up for. That was it. Great job, everybody. Let's go home. We're in the breakfast club. Hey! <laughs> we all did the fist for people who did Yeah, if you're just listening, we're all fisting the air and freeze oh, framing. okay. I didn't like that verb. Okay. But that's what they do at the end of the movie in, a, in classic 80s style. It's one of the most iconic 80s things, probably. What's that? the name of that technique where like the color all gets like super saturated and like, blurred bleach out? Bleach bypass? That's you a said bleach. that with a question mark, but I don't know. I'm asking you, man. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. Are you talking about bleach bypass? No, that's a different thing. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. My uncle had a quadruple beat. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> so stupid. I don't know. <sighs> We're talking about the Breakfast Club today, guys. Yep. It's it's part of your movie education, and the fact that I hadn't seen it, it's kind of repugnant. You yeah. know. You hadn't seen it until now. No. Oh wow. I I hadn't seen it until I started dating my wife. And my wife. So saw it like eight years ago. Or something. Did like you that? like this movie? Well, I guess we'll find out. Right now. I thought oh. it was okay. <laughs> oh, you want my? You want my? You want, are we doing it? I want it all. Okay. <laughs> Here's my slogan. <clears throat> if you stack waffles and pancakes together, is it still a short stack? What about other flat bready goods? Pitas? Focaccia? Non? I say yes. It's still a short stack. <laughs> 6.5 out of 10. What's wrong with understand. you? What is wrong with you? David, please. Okay. Get us out of here. A mostly timeless, authentic portrayal of what being in high school felt like. For better or for worse, 7.9. Okay, wait. Whoa. Can we just go back that to That was actually slogan? a very good slogan. I like it a lot better. I don't no. want to go back to Riley's. No, no, no. I have to explain. <laughs> did you did you notice all of the different types of breads that I, that I there was mentioned? Many, many breads. Many different types of breads, but if you put them all together, it's still a short <laughs> stack because they all have something in common. Bread. The Breakfast Club. 6.5 out of 10. I'm one step closer to understanding what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's not as deep as I think it is. It'll whatever. become. It'll become more clear once we get to the synopsis. All right, we're moving past you. Uh, I'm also okay. Seven point nine, David. Wow. Yeah. Seven point nine. Yeah. Pretty high. Pretty yeah, pretty What's high. that one point? What's that one decimal point? Well, eight is a certain barrier of entry. Okay. And this movie's almost there. I when I originally scored it, I actually had it at an eight solid. But the more I thought about it. <laughs> There's that one guy. Well, once I redo the calculations. Oh, yeah. Uh, I ran the, the numbers again. Uh, yeah. I mean, we will get it more into it, but there's certain elements that bothered me more on this rewatch than oh. I remember. Uh, and last week I said, I guess that it was about an hour 50, an hour 55. I was way off. It's an hour and a half. But man, does it feel like an hour 55? It feels long. It feels yeah. real long. I mean, it's all in kind of one setting. The yeah. same kind of characters, monologue-y. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like a stage show in that way. So I, I, I don't uh, demerit it for feeling longer given yeah. those circumstances. I, I went to check the time and I was like, ah, it's probably, you know, a quarter left. And I'm like, well, I'm only halfway. <laughs> what? Totally. Yeah. I think there's a weakness to the structure that they chose. They went for like a multi-protagonist film. And most films don't do that. They go for the three-act single protagonist film. But this one chooses a very solidly 
multi-protagonist structure, which is typically a limited time frame, uh, a group of people that haven't seen each other for a while in a room, kind of like a bottle episode, and then you just let it play out. And there's like a right. few movies that are like that, but it's rare. What are some other ones? Like Big Chill. Uh, you could <laughs> say like Days and Confused is kind of like that, uh, but it's very rare. And it's hard to pull off because it's just like a plot is what drives a movie forward. It mm. also shapes the characters. It allows them to like... Uh, have like ideas to bounce off of and grow. There's no um, plot. There's uh, there's zero plot. It's, That's what bothered me. Yeah, there's none. Mm. I was trying to put my finger on it. <laughs> Here it is. Okay. I, wait, hold on. Yeah, no, I've, I wanted you. Okay, I'm gonna give it a six point five. What? Same I, rating as me? I like you. Uh, wow. Actually, this is a little inaccurate. If I did decimals the way that David does it, I'd probably change it because I realized that I gave Indiana Jones a six point five. But I actually enjoyed watching this more than Indiana Jones. It was more interesting to me. Oh, really? Um, My slogan is, if you're a movie lover, this movie is part of a complete breakfast. (laughs) Even if, by today's standards, some of the ingredients aren't very nutritious. Oh, there it is. That's pretty good. I like that. Man, you always have just these tight slogans. Mm. Almost as good as mine. You're Lucy Tallstack. You're getting there. Keep trying. Okay. Lucy so give me, give, me your, give me your synopsis of this movie. All right. So in this movie, five high school students with nothing in common show up for Saturday detention. Or do they? They never show up. <laughs> the room's empty. Have nothing in common. Um, they're told to write a 1,000-word essay about who they think they are. At the beginning of those nine hours, they describe themselves as Andrew, the athlete, Bender, the criminal, Claire, the princess, Allison, the basket case, and Brian, the brain. That one's easy to remember because it's an anagram. Ah. ah. But by the end of detention. What? What? Brian. Okay, okay, brain. Okay. Brian. Brain. I thought, I thought you meant like. Uh, I thought you meant palindrome, and I was like, no, that's no, not. It's a portmanteau. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's. <laughs> but by the end of detention, these five discover each one of them actually lives inside each other. This is the synopsis. Okay, wait. Why is it longer than the movie? And that's what you call... Focaccia. The Brunch Squad. It's actually... This movie was supposed to be called The Lunch Bunch. That was the <laughs> original... That label. is even worse. Yeah, that was what the original script had printed on the paper. Doesn't make the any lunch sense. Bunch. Why would that be the starting point? They never eat together. They never break for any meal. Why is it... lunch. They eat lunch. Well, why wouldn't it just be called like... The Saturday kids are like they're meeting on a Saturday for detention. It has nothing to do with food. Why is that? <laughs> well, it's because it's, it's at breakfast time. No, no, no. It's they're all there. Early. They all come there at breakfast time, and they would be eating breakfast if frickin' Mister Vernon didn't get it's in the way. It's seven to seven. They're there throughout all <gasps> meal times. Whoa, wait, is it seven to seven? I didn't pick up that. No, wait, long. no, no. It's eight hours. Yeah, it's seven nine f- hours. Three. It's, it's, it's all hours. day, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. It's on a Saturday. That would suck. Keeps you out of prison. I never had a Saturday detention. I don't even think they did that at my high school. Yeah, I never heard of that. But maybe in uh, Shermer, Illinois, which actually isn't a real place. Well, did you know? I believe it. So they can make up any rule they want for how schools work in Shermer, Illinois. Yeah, that's why Vernon is so pissed off. Their teacher guy. The pr- is he the principal? Yep. That's why he's he so mad. He's vice principal? He's I like, thought he was just a teacher. No, no, no. He's either vice principal or principal. Oh, okay. The Probably reason we vice. never had it at our schools is because... No adult wants to work on a Saturday. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be mad too. And we're in Canada and we're a little more reasonable. Mm, true. <laughs> just better. Our children are just, just better. <laughs> Sorry, Americans. <laughs> when you scold the children, they just go, guess daddy. <laughs> and they learn. I'm so That's sorry. The Canadian way. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, okay. Do you guys not get what I was talking about? Not at all. 
Wait, but before that, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Carpool Critics. What? What? <laughs> 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 We're sponsoring ourselves. What's Please watch our right? show. This, is so this episode's bad. fucked. <laughs> this episode is so scuffed. It's not working. <laughs> Oh, no. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, including the greatest goddamn ball hair trimmer on the planet. Ooh. I almost said ball trimmer. It doesn't do that. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. Yes, Riley. <laughs> what? <laughs> I always call you out because you know. I do. Uh, you know how good that ceramic blade and 7,000 RPM quiet choke motor can be to a man's testicles. Preach. And even there's an LED light so you can see what you're doing and not get all those little nicks and cuts that just, uh, just uh, kind of hurt a little like bit those. all day. Yep. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code carpool at manscaped.com. Do it. We're also brought to you by Private Internet Access VPN. Oh. PIA helps you hide your true IP address so that you can bypass your restrictions and censorship and you can connect up to five devices at once. And it's got an internet kill switch if your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily. Hit it. <laughs> that sounded involuntary. PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, even as a Chrome extension. So check it out at lmg.gg slash carpulpia. Carpulpia. That's how you know. Carpulpia. You were confused about my synopsis, I could tell. Um, these five discover each one of them actually lives inside the other because they think that they, they come in being like, we're all separate. We're all, we're not like each other. You're an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> that almost came out, came down. I just poked the barrier. You're an athlete. I'm a brain. Boob-a-doob. But really, we all are just kids, you yeah. know, trying to have a good one. We all just hate our parents. Yeah. It's a weird it's little the parents that's the problem. So how does that make one inside of the other? They all live inside each other. A part of me lives in you now. They have things in common. Is that what you're saying? That's right. All of that to say <laughs> No man is an island. Yeah. The bell tolls for thee, dude. I thought I think what you're trying to say is that at school there's this rigid caste system and it's hierarchical. Right. And so they can only operate within that caste system, and they're defined by it. So it's like, oh, you're a jock? You're only a jock. Mm. You're nothing else. You're not complex. You're this flat character. Right. You're a jock. But then they're all meeting up in this other like liminal space where there is no caste system. Yeah, and, and they're, they're equal. They're all kind of like redefining it then and there. Well, they start off inside they, of it. They start they, off they, trying they, to... They branch out of it. Trying to recreate the caste system in this day. You know, in this one day, they're like, all right, we're all equal under Mr. Vernon, but really, don't forget that I'm the criminal and I'll, I'm dangerous. I think what works for me, though, is that uh, the movie is very successful at making each of those people, as they're constrained to that caste system, still acting in believable ways. Like, uh, it just everyone falls into place according to what they uh, see themselves as, but it, it gets the details right. It gets, like, the little things that I think makes it a much more believable set of people, not just, like... Uh, broadly drawn caricatures of these people. Like, they feel like real people to me. Well, that's why this movie is beloved, even if it is a wacky, <laughs> wacky 80s movie with stupid parts. It's very so stupid. stupid. Yeah. Um, but the reason people like it is it was like the first realistic depiction of teenagers. It was mm -hmm. the first, like, there was teenagers in slacker movies and there's teenagers in, like, after school specials that the kids didn't even like. This is the first time that you saw, they saw themselves on stage and could, like, relate to it and see that, yeah, you are a jock, but you're more than that. And 
that's it. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we've had that message a thousand times since. And well, like, yeah. Every it, high school movie ever is basically that's like the theme. Not even yeah. a high school movie. If you just watch Family Guy or The Simpsons or something like if you've grown up watching any kind of visual media in the last 30 years, it's those these tropes are just so ingrained in it that watching this movie now is kind of just like, okay, def- like I've seen this a million times. I think it definitely suffers from that watching it here in 2020 because especially in our lifetimes, you know, like I was born in 88. This movie came out in 84. Literally every, you know, teen relatable movie I've seen in my life has had this kind of like archetype setup where it's like there's a jock, there's a brain, there's a princess girl, there's a criminal, like they they all have this. I I wrote down I'm like, "Oh man, this could be like the perfect setup for like a teen superhero origin story." Totally. If they all got powers? Yeah. And then some like a monster broke into the library? Yeah. Better movie. I'm pretty sure like Jumanji has the exact same setup, like the new ones. It's like they have f- oh, the four or five ones, yeah. characters and they're the exact same archetypes. That being said, I think you guys aren't giving credit to the movie where it deserves it, where like the little characterizations, like uh, when Bender puts his knife into the seat and like uh, Ali like reaches over and grabs it and steals it. And it's like <laughs> little things, like little moments in the frame, Bender like spitting up and swallowing just because he wants to rise out of people. Like it makes these characters not just feel like, what we have experienced a thousand times since, but they are still strong in their own right. right. Oh, they're great, especially Bender. Obviously, if there's anyone who were the protagonist, it would be him. Yeah, for sure. And he's just injects. He's the he's the injection of chaos that makes that whole cast system fall apart and then right. reconstitute <clears throat> as its own new thing. And he's awesome. He's so strong and charismatic. My favorite yeah. line of his is, "Baby, you couldn't ignore me if you tried." I love that. <laughs> I agree. I think Bender is particularly charismatic, but there's a few things that uh, in 2020 are a little bit problematic. Like he does feel a little too rapey for me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little See, bit over the line. Yeah, I don't know. Is that, like, so I said just earlier that it suffers in 2020 from these kind of things but at the same time i'm kind of like all right i know that we do have to watch this movie as like a product of its time so obviously i don't blame the filmmakers that much for like these little like like when he's under the table or whatever and he like sticks his head in her like that that is the scene i don't like i think i think the movie is actually more innocuous today than before in a sense because if you watch it today um, his transgressions underneath the table. Like, if you haven't seen it, this is the part of the movie where Bender is no longer with the other students. He's, like, locked in a separate room, but then he breaks out and joins them again. But then the principal enters that room, so he hides from him under a table. He's hiding at the table where the princess-type character, Claire. played by Molly Ringwald? Yeah. Yep. Claire, she, she's sitting there, and she's wearing a skirt. So he's under the table, and I think it's kind of in character for him to, like, he looks up her dress, and so yeah. they. She was sixteen when they shot this, but they used an adult, and they have an adult, and they have a, a camera under the table, and you actually get an upskirt shot. Yeah. this is a John Hughes movie. He's responsible for all those National Lampoon's right. movies and articles when he worked at the magazine. A bit of a pervert. So, but it's it's in character for the dude to do that. But then not only does he look up her skirt, but then. He, it's implied that he does something else that makes her kind of squeeze his head. Oh, I always, oh, yeah. I always thought it's just that he's like so magnetically drawn that he just kind of moves his head in. Yeah. And then she like feels his like hair brushing against her leg and squeezes. Yeah. She I definitely does that. But it, I didn't think that there was like cunnilingus. Ew. Whoa. Is that no. too, is that too bad? <laughs> we can't say that? <laughs> no, no, I can say that, but I hope that okay. that movie is not implying that. Yeah. 
I, I didn't, right. Who knows? Maybe yeah. he just like touches her legs or does yeah. something, but it's, it implies that there's some action other than him just looking, sure. right? And then she reacts to it and she's uncomfortable. <clears throat> um, but I feel like when you're watching that today, you're like, okay, this guy, for all his flaws, like he has, he has things that are cool about him and good, and then he has things that are shitty about them, and he comes from an upbringing that you know you're not too surprised that there, he has issues, mm. and and in the climate of toxic masculinity of the 80s like right and for his character i'm not surprised that he did those things so i'm not upset that it's in the movie because i know the context like it just fits i'm not right i'm not upset that it's in the movie either however if this if you were in 1984 and you're watching this in a climate where like that's actually a joke that gets a laugh and his like what he's doing on the table you're like haha boys boys fuck yeah yeah." then Mm. that's actually that's the shitty part about it. Well, I do I do appreciate how they kind of had that explanation of like he's like this because, you know, his family life is is horrible. And I do I mean, I I appreciate that we have these archetypes, but they also completely break them down. Mm-hmm. Um so there's that nuance. Going along with what you're saying, James, uh there's actually a cutscene in the original script. Uh, where the three boys go off and try and sneak a peek at the synchronized swimming team, uh, and then oh. they come across the coach who's topless. Uh, really? Yeah, and like with without the mo- no watching the movie without that, uh, hearing that that scene exists, you're like, Ew, gross. And then how you could start, that exist? You're it starts to kind of like make every over sexual moment feel a little bit grosser for me. Yeah, um, there was a, there were other deleted scenes I think too where they like imagine naked people and stuff. <laughs> Well, I don't know if they they actually might not have filmed that, but it was in the script, and then they decided not to film it. See, I think there's a way to do. John Hughes is a pervert. He definitely. Well, I've I heard it described that he just knows what sells, but eh. <laughs> I, I I I can imagine a scene that's really funny where it's like implied nudity, and they're like imagining it because like teenagers are horny and like you're yeah. constantly imagining naked people, but mm-hmm. guaranteed it would have been for titillation more than for is, effect. Is this movie for teens? Because in 1984, there are like a bunch of f words and stuff in this. Movie. I think it was rated R. Yeah, right. Huh. So I was like, "Who is this?" Because it's 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 relatable to teens and young adults, I guess. But I was just like, obviously, it's not for like you know high schoolers, really. At at that time, maybe you know, it is. Not- like, did he expect people to see it anyway? Like, he did all those other like National Lampoon's Vacation and stuff like that. Who's, who think- are those for? Yeah, well, I I would say that the National Lampoon movies are for, but obviously teens watch those or whatever. And but like obviously, I think there are a lot of parents who maybe weren't happy about it. But I think my one of the one of the things that I was struggling with while watching this movie was I was like, okay, there's an important takeaway here. There's the like lesson that you know, no man is an island or whatever. Or you think that you're so different from somebody else, you're in completely different universes, but really you probably have more in common than you think. And everyone has problems. Yeah, everyone's got problems. <clears throat> but at the same time, I'm like, who really needs to hear this? It's kids, but the but the movie isn't really targeted at kids. Well, I think it's important for the adults to hear it too, because look at the character of their principal, Vernon. He's not sensitive to any of those plights. Yeah. So, and he treats them thusly. I do. I do appreciate that even the even the teacher is is shown having problems. In fact, the only character that is like Without kind redemption. of can be looked up to in this movie is the janitor. Yeah. Who, Ooh. by the way, I thought was Brian Brain's uh, dad when I watched <laughs> I thought it. that for a hot second, too. I watched it in an imperfect <laughs> viewing environment. There was some noise and stuff. I didn't catch everything. And, uh, On a laptop? I, th- I thought for... No. <laughs> no, it was a nice screen. But for some reason, um, I thought when he was saying, like, 
that he had been the one who found Brian's gun or flare gun that had gone oh, off in the locker. Right. I missed that, and I just thought it, they recognized each other and knew each other's names because, like, it's my boy. And it totally <laughs> fit because Brian's from an uh, impoverished or lower-class family. Yeah, sounds like it. And and then it was like, hey, janitor, how do you become a janitor? I thought when he was getting asked, like, hey, what do you have to do to become a janitor? I thought that was actually a dig at Brian. Right. He's like, oh, that's your dad. And he was ashamed about that. So it all fit and yeah. worked. And then at the end, I was like, oh. <laughs> well, you only got it at the end. <laughs> I didn't know it the oh, whole time. okay. Yeah, I think as soon as... I think because he says in the hall that, that he says, hey, Brian, or whatever. And that's when I thought it was his dad. But then soon after that, I think they allude to it not being his dad. Well, they show. I think they show his dad and it's John Hughes. What? They show his dad when? In the when? car. Picking him up. No, his mom drops him off. Yeah, his, mom... his mom drops him off and the dad picks him up. And that's John Hughes. Oh. Okay, well, I didn't, <laughs> I'm telling I didn't you catch right that. That's John Hughes. I was too busy in the, uh, in the end scene thinking about how those relationships are not possibly going to last. That's high school. Oh, wait. That's <laughs> actually the one of the worst parts. Going back to the, like the the gross things is um the fact that she kisses bender acts like a dick and does this stuff yeah uh, like sexually harasses her basically underneath the table yep and then he gets the girl oh yeah. what a nice what a nice romantic Which moment still fits there's tons of girls who go after oh, the, like sure. abusers and bad guys who they shouldn't and it, it totally fits the era but it's just not a good message i think yeah. i think that's what bothers me about this movie and movies like this where it's kind of like people will say, but it's re-, like that's what happens, you know. That's realistic, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see that. Like if I wanted to watch a slice of life thing, I would go watch a documentary or something, you know. Like I think that these movies serve a purpose. Well, it's about tone. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't yeah. have to be a slice. Like I can appreciate a movie that wants to tell me that, like, oh look at the bad guy wins kind of thing, or like this kind of stuff exists in real life. But the tone has to be consistent with that. Yes. I can't be watching a movie that's a right. comedy and then it end that way because then I think it's a message that the movie espouses. For sure, I think that's a really important point. I think that's what bothered me about this is that it's like, yes, this happens, but like, are we supposed to be happy about it? Not only, well, okay, this is another whole another level to it. Molly Ringwald was sixteen when they filmed this. Judd Nelson is twenty five. Oh yeah, and they're kissing in the end. So I'm like, that's weird. And then, yeah, but legal in Canada, <laughs> sure. It's still weird. But um, and then like the fact that like yeah, th- th- that's not gonna work at all. Like they're gonna they're gonna sleep together, and then their relationship is gonna just come to a crashing halt. And I just don't like the feeling at the end where it's like happy ever after. And you don't know that that's gonna happen. People it's can change. Happen. She sees the value of him. She sees who he really is under there, and. And okay. vice versa. Okay, so maybe maybe this was like maybe I got this wrong, but I definitely got a feeling at the end of this movie. I think they they do, they want to leave it ambiguous, but my feeling based on what they say and do is that this day is not going to change anything really. The discussion of on Monday, are we going to be friends? Yeah. If I see you in the hallway, what's going to happen? Exactly. That's the best part. It's but it's it- very interesting. But I, I get the feeling at the end of this movie that nothing is really going to change, which makes it so conf- such a confusing ending. Because they walk out of there and it's like, all right, we're paired up, we're paired up. Poor Brian's the fifth wheel. But Andrew, Andrew, yeah. I strongly disagree there. I think that the ambiguous nature of that discussion is one of the strengths where in a more classic movie, they would close it up and at the end they'd be like, see you Monday, see you Monday, see you Monday. And like they would have like a definite answer. But this movie is more like grounded and being like, yeah, like 
maybe we won't, maybe we won't. And then they discuss it. And then they actually kind of have a breakthrough of like, we maybe we should have it. And like, you're pieces of shit for ignoring this, him. And then they have like further levels of discussion based on and that. the interesting part about that discussion is uh, who plays what role in that discussion. The person at the, the lowest stratum, the, the nerd guy, he's the one who is like, we should hang out. We're all friends because yeah. he can yeah. only move up. Yeah. And it's the person at the highest level, the uh, prissy girl, who is like, realistically, no. guys, not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. And then I think it's the the basket case. She's completely out, outside of the hierarchy. She's Basically. not even, she's not at any level. Yeah. She's outside of the, of the cast system. She doesn't guy. even have any input. Yeah. What I like about that scene is that it's not just like straight hierarchy is that Claire might be at the top, Brian might be at the bottom and Judd Nelson calls Claire out. But then she calls him out because he wouldn't hang out with her. He would pretend like they're just banging or doing something like. Right. Uh, and so it's more complex than just like straight up or down. That's and then true. they kind of address it again. And like they kind of come around to a place where like they all realize that he, it's not he's okay. king of the criminal hierarchy, which is just kind of like horizontal. It's like adjacent to the sort Chris of. hierarchy. Yeah. And they're just like enemies. Those <laughs> they're <laughs> incompatible. See, I thought that whole discussion was good and worthwhile. I just hope or I just wanted deep in my core at the end to be like, and they're going to do it, you know? And I, I like, I get what you're saying. I, I, I know that it's, it's more grounded that way to leave it ambiguous and be like, hopefully it turns out. No, but it's, but I just like in my movies, this is why, this is how I grade movies. I, I like aspirational elements, <laughs> but they give like, you that. They give you that. That's what the fist pump at the end from, from Bender is. He's optimistic. That's why he's fist pumping. Maybe we broke it. We broke the system. We'll see you on Monday. Yeah, we've changed it enough. That, that or I, he just kissed the hottest chick in the room. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah, I mean, maybe I was just reading it that way instead, where it's just like, nice, I escaped. Like, uh, he's not going to act differently towards Mr. Vernon. We didn't see We didn't see any of the actual problems addressed, which is like probably all of their home lives. You know, they, they're like, oh, we got friends. Cool. But like, how is this going to change? How is this going to be better? Well, it's I, one day. Yeah, I don't think that's know, the purpose of this it's just, movie. It's, is it's, it's hard. It's to open up that can of worms for them and like have these people have these discussions. Like, I think the best parts of the movie we've already discussed uh, the like the Monday what happens on Monday scene. But it's Brian's discussing why he's in detention and Andy's discussion why they're in detention. And maybe mm. I connect with those because like I guess I feel like in high school I was somewhere in between those two. Those are the characters I probably most relate to. You're the smartest jock. Uh, the dumbest nerd. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> and I like to wrestle. The, the weakest nerd. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, they're, they're great monologues, and they do a great job of kind of like bringing you to a place. And like, I, what, what was the jocks is, thing again? The jocks thing is that he taped uh, the other guy's butt cheeks together, which is hilarious. Like, yeah, that's about what a jock thing would do. But his emotional breakthrough is like he's doing it for his dad because he thinks that's what his dad would have done, and oh, like, yeah. he feels like that's what his, his dad wants of him, and like. I love that dimension of like this pressure that his dad's putting on him isn't just to be competitive, to be an athlete. It's to be a certain type of person. Yeah. It's uh, like a generational perpetuating of the totally, cast system. Totally. Uh, and it's sound the best scene in the movie. Definitely one of them. I love the that, that and when uh, that same character is dancing. Oh, and yeah. just dancing around to a song that <laughs> presumably <laughs> only he can play because later on they all dance using a stereo system. Yeah. But in that scene, the weed dance, he's just dancing and then the, he screams the and, gra- and glass breaks. <laughs> the door oh, shatters. I love it. So, so 80s. Silly. John Hughes apparently said that was the one, his biggest regret of the film is including that shot. Of the glass. Yeah, oh, of the glass great. shattering because it doesn't make any sense. But maybe they're hallucinating, you know, who knows? This is the X-Men prequel film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought the marijuana consumption just didn't make any sense in this movie. 
They go from being like, like Bender pulls the weed out of his locker, and Brian is like, "Is that cannabis?" Like he's, it, got, he's got marijuana. It's it's really faux <laughs> like faux pas, really taboo. And then somehow they all just smoke it in and the th- library. Yeah, it's like that's gonna smell it up. Like presumably coming in on Monday, being like, "You guys smell that?" It seeps into the books. Presumably they never smoked before. A lot of them. Yeah, and then they didn't even have a scene where like he's selling the merits of smoking it. He's never like actually. It's pretty cool, guys. It's really good for watching movies. Well, and then I can st- understand why they didn't include that because you don't want to have a movie that's a sales pitch to young people to yeah. smoke pot. Like, but it kind of just makes it unbelievable to me. Slice of life, kids do weed. <laughs> they do weed. They overdose, <laughs> and then they smoke it. And like, I'll grant that uh, I've heard a lot of old timers say that weed back in like the sixties and seventies was way less potent and you could just like smoke joints all day oh really but these guys smoke and they're for first timers like a lot of the time yeah. you are destroyed they seem fine and then they, they go yeah go Claire back Claire is the only one who's like coughing but they go back to normal within half an hour right 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 yeah yeah very uh very strange um you were just you were we were talking about them sitting on the floor and you know how he taped a, <laughs> Andrew taped the guy's buns together or whatever which was even weirder to me because I found out that that scene is largely improvised. Wow. They said, okay, IMDb, I don't know. This is just all IMDb trivia or whatever. But they said that that scene is is unscripted. And John Hughes just told them to sit down there and and chat. Huh. So I'm sure they guided it in some way. But like if if the taping buns is un, is unscripted <laughs> that that thing yeah. everyone would break. Everyone would break yeah, character. Exactly. I was like he's like what would you do to get in here? He's like hmm I taped the guy's buns together. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> you did what? You know, that's a jock thing. We tape buns together. Hey, <laughs> wrestling team. Well, this this whole movie was like an actor's dream because basically John Hughes had a script, but he had a, he gave them a lot of room to improv in general. Right. Uh, he would give them like several takes, five, six takes of their own accord. He would just be like, go. And he would give them m- multiple takes. And I mean, like, it's it's like if I was an actor, like, That'd be great. And you can kind of see how they all became pretentious fucks after. Yeah. Because they're like, I'm the best actor ever. And it's like, well, yeah, you got given the best scenario in the whole world. And (laughs) you you did your job. Yeah. It makes sense to me that a lot of it was improvised because one of the notes I made was, did they just record kids talking and make that the movie? Because it's hard to imagine some of this dialogue is written. (laughs) Like a lot of it just doesn't make Like one person says one thing and another person says another thing that's like seemingly unrelated. I was just like, what? Yeah, well, apparently Judd Nelson was particularly method. Like he went and like basically snuck into a high school and pretended to be a high schooler. I heard, yeah. Uh, And he hung out with the high schoolers. Hung out on the tables. And he bought booze for them with his fake ID. With his real ID. Well, with his real ID, but he told them it was a fake ID. Yeah. Uh, and apparently he was like, like the scene where he spits up and swallows it, that's a real improv thing that he did in the rehearsal. And John Hughes was like, that's great. Do it. Which it like, if someone did that in real life, I would have the same reaction as Claire, I think. Yeah. Like, what? I was apparently- like, gross. And that was perfect because it's early on in the movie. So it really sets up yeah. like the baseline really for that guy. Well, apparently tone. he was such a dick on set. Uh, and he would like make fun. He per- he targeted Marley Ringwald in particular. Yeah. Because he's just whatever. He's an asshole. Uh, but one time he made a joke about her dad being blind because he's blind, so he like made fun of her for that. Whoa. And John Hughes was like this close yeah. to firing him. Oh really? Yeah. And, and they never worked together again, right? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I don't think John Nelson did much after this. I like, think he did, almost fire. Well, he did. He did a bunch of movies around that time, I think. But yeah, I think like into the nineties and two thousand. This is another. Speaking of Saint Elmo's Fire, that movie came out the same year with a lot of the same actors. 
Uh, but that movie is about people who just graduated university. <laughs> <laughs> so like right at the beginning of this movie, I'm like, how old is Emilio? Yeah. <laughs> how old is Bender? Well, okay, so Judd Nelson, Bender, Andy, and Allison are all uh, mid-20s. I think Allison's 24 and 25 and stuff. And then um, Claire and Brian, the princess and the nerd, are 16. Yeah, they're actually yeah, kids. Yeah, they're and actually you can tell. kids. You yeah. can tell. I saw the stupidest IMDb trivia based on that. They're like, the only two characters that were actually still doing high school cl- high school classes uh, and finishing their studies were these two pe- like were Claire and yeah. Brian. I'm like, well, yeah, they're the only ones that were still in high school. You fucks. <laughs> oh, that's so misleading. Such a stupid trivia. Which one... Um, which one? Which character? Which character do you guys like the most? <laughs> which do I like or do I relate to? I was Bender, was say, the, Bender wh- drove the story. Which Which one do you appreciate the most? Because I feel like I appreciated Brian. Oh, for sure. I loved that guy. I'd say I love how earnest he is. Like all the other people are, I think, are really trying to play their role. Like it's like oh, I'm the jock. I got to do this, and like I'm a princess. And Brian's just like, Hey guys, <laughs> would you want to yeah. be friends? He kind of feels the most authentic from the beginning. Yeah. So my girlfriend the whole time was like, He's a parent's dream. <laughs> He's a, like, That's what I want my kid to be like. And yeah. I was like, I couldn't figure out during his monologue where he cries if he, he covers his face with his hand during that. And I was trying to figure out is like, is that because he's an inexperienced or bad actor? He takes his hand away and he's crying, and it's a compelling monologue, but. I don't think what was up with that? I think it's just his performance. I think like he kind of does the full arm in front of the face. I liked how weird it was because it seemed that made it seem genuine. Well, I, it's I like think, maybe this guy is just so unemotionally, like emotionally unprepared for this kind of thing that he just like doesn't know how to handle it. So I love a lot of people would cover their face. Yeah, yeah. I love how they disarmed that moment where it's like a real thing. He's like, I came to school with a gun, like I was gonna do something and like that, and it was, the, the flare gun went off in my <laughs> locker, and they're like, setup. what? And it's like it's not funny, and it's like. And they all break, so and they're like, "Yeah, it's pretty funny." And that's like that such kinda, a good breakthrough. I expected that to kind of go into a bigger round, like round of like them all just like laughing, and that's the breakthrough, you know. But then it keeps going. <laughs> the character that I, I don't know, the basket case character. Yeah. Um, she was the one that I, I had the most questions about. Right. You learn the least about her mm-hmm. as it goes, and takes the longest to figure her out, and then, but then at the end, I, was, I don't know if I was unsatisfied or something like that. I was definitely unsatisfied. Yeah. Like she's the kind of the, the most boring character oh, totally. even though i had the most questions about her she i didn't seems, enjoy well, the ride her she, arc is i the whole time i did want to be popular and pretty and yeah like, that's a shitty arc i know that's a terrible arc I oh they just it. put makeup on yeah. her and then now she gets to kiss the jock that yeah. was messed so up. dumb i hated that part but again it, i was kind of like all right do i forgive this sort of for being an 80s movie and that's she, like the she does look pretty hot proto- she does look very pretty <laughs> But that's that's definitely shaky. Like on yeah. Monday, she's not da- like going out with her being seen with that job exactly. at all. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. And um, yeah, I I I think I do forgive it a little bit for being in the '80s and that being kind of the prototypical route out of that situation. Like it wouldn't just be like, and she remained insane. <laughs> I like the contrast they show at the beginning, where all the kids are getting dropped off and oh, interacting with their parents scene. for a bit. They show all that interaction. And then they, I think they finish it just with her standing on the curb and her parents just drive off. We didn't even get to see them. Well, yeah. you see Bender walk up by himself because he's like, his parents just don't care enough to drop him off. Yeah. And then, yeah, she gets out to say bye and they're gone. I, I did not, with her, I did not quite appreciate that she kind of felt like just a character injected to, for some funny moments, you know? Like, it's like, oh, okay, here's these regular archetypes that you're familiar with. And then it's like, oh, how do we make this scene more interesting? She's making a Captain Crunch sandwich, which See, was disgusting. I, that was I, also messed that up. That was disgusting. 
I strongly disagree, though. I don't think she was injected. I feel like she's an authentic person that I knew in high school. I knew a lot of weird people in high school that were right. like, I'm so weird. Like, isn't it funny how weird I am? I'm and a like, Wiccan. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and so I feel like yeah. that's Wiccans. really authentic. I think the problem is how John Hughes views those people. Right. And how, how, what he thinks the resolution of their weirdness is. Instead of like giving them an authentic place to uh, portray their real self, not this like weird fake stuff that they're putting on. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a mistake of the film. Is that She should have got with Bender. Yeah, that would maybe see that would maybe work. David, maybe she's David's just crazy. Not sure. I just think there shouldn't be love. In I think this movie. She, I think it would be more sophisticated if there was. Everybody no. has to end up with somebody. <laughs> I think she would be just uh, eccentric enough to kind of like rein him in. Maybe. Maybe you know they could hang out at least. They could. Be- yeah, they can hang out. Yeah. They can just be friends. Well, I mean, you guys seen the, the sequel where they're all just at the mall and Stop then, uh, it. the doors lock and they have to just have another round of discussion. I think at the mall. no, there's a sequel. No. I think okay. I forgot to do this, but at some point while I was like writing notes for this, I was like, "Is there like I've almost Googled well, it, Breakfast Club too?" But they've then I tried didn't. to make sequels and they've never like gone further than pitching or development. Uh, one of the most recent ones was I think like 2000 mid 2000s, and it was called Bumped, and it was. Basically, a group of misfits being stuck in an airport, uh, and then it's like, okay, that's. I mean, that's a setup, and then they would probably all and have their problems. They... Yeah, one is like a corporate shark. One's like the artsy musician, and the other one's like a flirt. Mm. Uh, and they were gonna probably just do the same kind of thing where they're like, "I'm traveling because I've never seen my wife, and I'm alone, <laughs> and I'm traveling because I don't feel love, and I'm traveling." Wow, because I work too much. I work too much. Let's yeah. exchange numbers. And never call each other. Here's a bunch of uh, ambiguous notes that maybe you can help me with. <laughs> That's my favorite uh, game. I have one that just says, what was in the mug? Which mug? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I have the same note. Uh, it's in the thermos. Uh, oh. The principal, when it drops, it's like tar. Yeah. It's like thick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they're spilling that? the coffee, but they use prop coffee that just looks like mud. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe, like now movies are HD. So, so then after that, he's saying like, uh, they barely call that coffee. It's like dredged from the river or something. He's like, he's like talking about how the coffee's bad. So it's coffee, but it's not coffee. I think it's supposed to be coffee, but maybe I don't know. Maybe they put that that uh, line in retroactively yeah, just to, to cover like, their ass. Yeah, 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 to explain the fact that it looked like tar. Or, uh, Hit me with another one. I got uh, this. Here's one: rolled up paper ADR is bad. <laughs> uh, it's what? probably the principal. He rolls up the newspaper at some point and is like hitting something. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. The sound effect was just so yeah, brutal. It's like, probably. Toing! There's a bunch of bad edits in this movie too because it's improvised. I yeah. noticed one at the beginning where Bender was like in the, like, I guess he had just done a monologue and he was like making a face. Then it cuts to the next shot, like shot reverse shot kind of thing. Yeah. And his face was just like suddenly his posture changed and he was totally relaxed. It was, I was like, yeah. whoa. Hmm. Huh. That's a that's a pretty specific nitpick. I have a nitpick. What do you want to keep going? Uh, I don't know if these are actionable. I have. Where's your lunch? You're wearing it. <laughs> Does someone say that? Yeah, someone says that, but who says that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does somebody say that to Bender? Oh, someone says that to Bender. And then he says, you're wearing it as in like, I'll eat you. No, I'll eat your clothes. I don't know. (laughs) That was a very 80s thing. What's your damage? <laughs> Gag yeah. me with a spoon. You freaking, what does he call them? Zoom dweebies? Like ma- maxi zoom Neo, dweebies? Neo maxi Neo, zoom, dweeby. zoom dweeby. I like the part with that chair gag in the door. It was actually funny. That was pretty funny. And Emilio can't get back over the thing. Yeah. 
What exactly? Uh, explain it. Explain okay, it. so first, Bender pulls out the screw from the yeah. thing that keeps the door open. And so the principal comes back. He's very upset. And so he tries to put a folding chair in the door to keep it open. <laughs> and he puts it. And then it and just the, No, and the kids are like, it's too light. It's yeah, not right. going to hold the door. <laughs> the door's too heavy, sir. And then, so it shows us the door again. And we expect the chair to just kind of slide yeah, but it slowly goes, the other <laughs> way. But instead, it's like they yanked it with a cable thing. <laughs> Shoosh. That's yeah. the funniest part of the movie, man. I felt bad for Andy when he goes helps he goes and helps him put the magazine holder to keep the door open. And he's like, what are you doing? What's your problem? Like, the teacher gets mad at him for failing to keep it up. But it's like, it's your idea, dude. Yeah. Do you think he was doing it on purpose? Like, kind of being purposely terrible at it so that the door would get to be closed? Maybe. Do you think he was that clever? That, at that was point? the bender See, in Andrew. That, because that's right before the first kind of bonding moment between like kind of the three cool kids. When they have solidarity. When they're the solidarity and they're not giving up bender. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about when the door does close and it kind of like uh, wheezes or whistles that it closes and it crashes. And in that instant, bender yells out, fuck you. Oh, yeah. And like, did he actually say it? What? That was an interesting Did he little... scream it, but it was just covered by the noise? I think what happened, that my interpretation was that the door slams shut, Bender takes this opportunity to yell, fuck you, and the teacher kind of hears it, but it's also obscured by the door, so he's like, do I want to make a big deal out of this, or should I just let this slide? And he's like, I just got out of there, and I'm tired, and I just, I'll leave it for now. Man. That's what I thought. Huh. It was a really bad musical cue. It's when Bender has the moment where he first makes on a Brian for his perfect family life. And then they're like, what about you? And he got does and does like the abuse of like whatever. And the famous like, what about you, dad? No. What about you? What about you? And then the musical cue kicks in and it's like this 80s kind of like synth rock. And it's like, and it fades away from like 100 to zero in like two seconds. It's like, that scene is really weird. You could just see the guy's hand on the knob. Just, yeah, I, I. That scene is weird because it it gives us the background for why Bender is a criminal, mm. but the way they do it is like awkward. And that that was a, mo- a general note I had about this movie was the difference in portrayal of archetypes uh, then and now. Like back then, you, Bender plays this criminal. He walks in wearing like. Like a scarf Flannel. wrapped around his ankle. Yeah, scarf. Like a, like uh, a fingerless buckling Jack Sparrow boot. Yeah, a big, a big trench coat. Well, everyone, they yeah. still do the trench coat. They still Every, do the, That's well, like the Columbine but thing. But they're like black, and this one is, this one's like gray. I don't know. I just like, it doesn't, he doesn't really look badass so much as he just looks like weird. You I buy that from an army surplus store kind of thing. Yeah. Like I, I, I actually, but it wasn't, it's not green. It's like, it's like a, it's like a gray normal trench coat that a business guy would wear. I was just like so confused. You it from a thrift store. I, I like the clothes they wear. I think they tell the story like Brian's sweaters inside out. Is uh, it? Yeah. And that's <laughs> I like, I think a great that. little detail. And like Molly, Molly Ringwald, uh, and I didn't really notice this, but the pr- production designer in one of the making of things talks about how they didn't want her to be like a princess. They wanted her to be kind of like tough. And so they styled her as like a more Ralph Lauren model where all her stuff is like a little more masculine. and It's got a little more edge. And like when you think about it back, it's like, oh, yeah, so they could have made her like in a pink dress and all this stuff. Right. But there's a lot more like even her hair. It's like a more uh, edgy style. Yeah. Uh, and I well, like that. Is it edgy in the 80s? Edgelord. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> She's the edge lord of the movie. <laughs> the top of Claire, the food chain. The princess. Yeah. Hey, do you guys think is it implied or is this just only my own mind that I kind of just like assumed that the basket case character is also poor? Yeah, I actually yeah. kind of assumed the opposite. And maybe that's just because well, I uh well, when she's, she's not wealthy. 
maybe not though. She has like a Prince album for some reason. Uh, and then she, her parents, I can't remember the car she's driving, but the fact that she has a therapist or has like enough wit to come up with that, that lie about the therapist having sex with her. Mm. I don't know. Something about that rings as like, her parents are like maybe super liberal. Uh, maybe one of her parents goes to therapy. Maybe. What did she say about her parents? They don't care. They don't they care. Ignore her. They ignore her. Yeah. That's kind of like the all we get about her. I don't know if it's just like my own bias or observations. It just seems like kids that were so outside like that were really poor when I was a kid. Like, there's I never mean, like an affluent kid who is that wildly crazy. Because usually, like those kids are so stressed out because their parents are so stressed out, usually because of money or because of addiction stuff like that. That's fair. If I had to put money down, I'd say lower middle class, not like. That's poor as Super Bender's poor, parents. but yeah, Bender's parents is obviously Let's guess poor. the parents' salary. <laughs> but they, they also send her to school with like Captain Crunch and like Pixie Stick sandwich. No, she made that for. I think she, she made that for herself. That. Well, they just gave her bread then. Like they don't give her anything. Oh, they ignore it. Yeah, they don't. She's just like for her. yeah. There's enough food in the fridge. You can go take care of yourself. You're a grown up. Mm. Yeah, that's what I imagine. So, what would make this movie better for you guys? Oh, you you gave it a seven point nine, but what you gave it a six point five, James? Um. Because I know what I would do. Oh, do you? Okay. Tell us then. Okay, yeah, you go. Yeah, no, you, uh, first. you first. Okay, then. Uh, I just <laughs> think that it's like a lot of it has to do with the historical context. Like we said before, like um, I like the fact that, you know, we're not just jocks. There's more to us. And, you know, we all have problems. <laughs> and it's because we have interactions with our parents. Like, and the who, jock protest. who likes their parents? No one likes their parents. And it's like, yeah, sweet. That's all good stuff. If it was 30 years ago or 50 years ago. But it's not. And so mm. I'm kind of just like, blah, 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 just kind of right. getting through it. Um, the charisma of Bender, like, kind of just pushed it through. That was good. There's a couple laughs, a couple cries. Like, it, yeah. it was okay. It was a good amount of laughs. It was way better than Heather's. I watched Heather's yeah. last night. Oof. Holy shit. Oh, no, Have I you seen, seen it? No. Well, I, I was reading on Reddit. Somebody was, like, um, talking about how the kids, like, this one's kind of, like, idealistic. It was, like, these kids, they meet in this liminal space, and then they like each other. And then maybe they go on and things change. But in Heather's, this person argued that Heather's was more realistic where it's like that would never happen and they're just going to continue to be savage to each other. And Mm. Heather's is kind of like a precursor to Mean Girls, but way sillier. Right. And uh, that movie, if you think this movie's 80s, that movie is (laughs) 80s AF. Like shoulder pads, like little girls wearing blazers, croquet, big hair. Yeah. What's your damage? Brutal. Well, so it's interesting. I think like the other quintessential high school 80s movie is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, uh, love it. And I think I like Breakfast Club better. Ooh, hot take. Really? Hot take. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I feel like at the end of Breakfast Club, I'm left with uh, a better impression of real people having actually excavated some real trauma. Whereas Ferris Bueller is certainly a more fun and entertaining movie. Uh, but I feel like there's less value to it. What do you I haven't seen that? it as an adult, but as a kid, it was basically just like a form of masturbation watching that movie. It was just like, what? Like <laughs> it's like watching Bart Simpson. You're like, yeah, you're so cool. I want to be you. You're awesome. Totally. And like, I'm you. In a lot of ways too. Yeah. Where like he's like how he sets up faking his sickness, and he has like the Rube Goldberg machine, and it's all clever and stuff. He, like, he breaks the so fourth fun. wall and talks to the camera, yeah. and he's like, a, it's almost like Catch Me If You Can. Like he's so clever, and he's duping all these people and having a good time. It's See, so badass. Is, that's so funny because I've seen Ferris Bueller, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off a couple times, and I would say that there's like i mean okay that's not true i guess my, my problem with this movie is that it has substance but it's not aspirational but ferris bueller's day off may have less uh 
substance in the in the sense that it is kind of as James said masturbatory it's just kind of like a fun adventure but I think that it is more aspirational in that there is a clear arc for um, not Ferris so much but his friend Cameron Cameron and there's like that that is like the core kind of conflict of the movie is is their friendship and how Ferris is kind of dragging Cameron along and at the end Cameron learns to stand up to his overbearing dad and that's kind of like the and they do and they accomplish that through this like wild journey and i think that's just kind of more my speed mm. where it's like i like these kind of adventurous movies like let's go out there let's go accomplish something let's find out what's going to happen going forward let's make goals and i think that uh, Breakfast Club doesn't accomplish that nearly as much. Breakfast Club is more like relatable, like, hey, kids, isn't life hard? Hey, I'm right there with you. It's empathetic. But Ferris Bueller's Day Off is more of like a grand quest. For sure. You know? So I like it more. I gotta say, the more research I did, the less I was amazed with John Hughes. Yeah, because I was, I was like, gonna ask oh. you, because in previous conversations, you've seemed kind of enamored with him. And I had no idea. Like you were like John Hughes movies, and I'm like, what movies did he do? And then I looked up, like, oh, he did all these like teen movies in the '80s yeah. and stuff. And I think he's a great writer because even like Ferris Bueller, <laughs> it's like there's great characterization, and I think he really does a good job of getting in the si- inside the head of people and uh, getting the little details out of what their lives would be like. And I right. think that's what he's really skilled at. And the fact that he wrote Breakfast Club in like a weekend and Home Alone in a weekend, like that's like that's a master level skill. Right. But then you look at his. Di- his directorial movie films, and he actually didn't direct that many movies in his life. He's primarily like a writer. Primarily right? a writer, yeah. and most of his second half of his movies suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're saying most of his movies, the second half of those movies sucks? No. Or you're saying the second, second half, half of his career yeah. sucks? The second half of his career sucks. Okay. That would have been an interesting pattern you picked up on. No. <laughs> I, He's I, really great at act one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I looked up a bunch of John Hughes movies, and I was like, oh, I've seen a bunch of these. And I'd say arguably the best one of those that I've seen is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I I can't disagree. I, I love, love that it. movie. We should maybe do that. Man, at I've some seen point. like none of his movies. It's weird. I've only seen Home Alone. I've seen Ferris Bueller's. Yeah, I've seen that one. And play, you haven't seen Plain Street? No. Oh, so and good. I've never seen Sixteen Candles. I haven't Uncle seen Buck. that. Don't watch Weird Science. That one's weird. I think I, I saw. Seen that is either. that the one where they make like a, yeah, like a, a sex android? Bot. Woman? I love Bot. Yeah. And it's well, Anthony Michael Hall, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. Brian from this movie. That's like one of Robert Downey Jr.'s first movies. Oh. Yeah. It seems largely titillating. Sure is. <laughs> I mean, the guy worked at a lad mag, a lad magazine in the 70s. So it's like, what do you think? Yeah. Like, come on. It's not even fair. <laughs> like, It's like low-hanging fruit historically to go back and pick on that guy. So his, his movies truly are like a, a, a battle of wills between his brain and his pants. It's really weird, though, because um, <laughs> so Molly, what's her last name? Ringwald. Ringwald. Okay. Molly Ringwald wrote a article in The New Yorker. Did you guys read that one? I didn't read that article. So basically on the 30 year anniversary of this movie, she like watched it with her 10 year old and because um, she, she thought it was too young. But her the 10 year old was like, my friends have seen it and I don't want to watch it without you. But the oh, first time I watch it. So let's nice. watch it. And they watched it and she was explaining all these things to her. And then that scene happened with the under the table stuff. Right. And the kid basically, a kid doesn't understand something. It just goes yeah. right past them usually. But Molly had to reckon with it. And what she said, like the the biggest takeaway from that article in terms of Hughes is like, how was he simultaneously so sensitive so that he can make these movies with that are like 16 Candles where it's starring this teenage girl, which has like never been done. And it's like this female lead that just that didn't exist. And he made that. Right. And they're real characters. Yeah. And then he also 
Yeah, but also does this weird rapey stuff. But you also got to use them as an object. Yeah, like particularly like <laughs> Bre- Breakfast Club isn't that bad for that, yeah. um, right? I, I think it's in Sixteen Candles or maybe Sixteen Candles Fire. There's a date rape scene, but even preceding that scene, like the girls are like traded, like these guys like trade girls, and then <laughs> one of them gets date raped, and in the morning she's like, "I feel like it was good." Oh man! And as Molly says in the article, feelings are something you have when you don't have thoughts because you weren't conscious. What? <laughs> <laughs> Dang! Like, Sounds like a big loaf of bread. I mean, that's sixteen years old. You're barely conscious. You're, Ooh, what? Even when you're conscious. Exactly. That's what you're saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You haven't awoken to Well, jeez. The... Yeah, you took that the wrong I way. I didn't mean to take it like that. <laughs> now this is weird. What are we going to do next week, guys? You haven't been enlightened is what I'm saying. We should do a comedy, but it's one that's real good. We're doing Edgar Wright next week, baby. Hell yeah. We're getting out of the way. Mm. Edgar Wright, who replied to my tweet. What? Whom's reply to You didn't to see that? No, no, I, I posted that. that in our chat. Oh, I when? didn't see that. What happened? I made fun of the fact that he used a word twice in the same tweet, or he described a quietly brilliant. He described two different movies as quietly brilliant. Oh. And I was like, a lot of movies that are quietly brilliant, eh? And he was like, indeed, to me. And I'm like, wow. thanks, friend Edgar. I think Brandon oh, said that he follows him on Twitter. That's yeah, sweet. And he follows me now, too. Does he actually follow you? No. Dang. I'm going to call <laughs> Denis Villeneuve out for saying, uh, I deeply love it. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> He always says, I deeply love it. Deeply love it. Uh, people who are I on deeply set. Love it. I deeply love it. Like, if he says that he likes what you did or he loves what you did, like, that's okay. If he really likes what you did, he'll say, I deeply love it. <laughs> I just imagine, like, Denis Villeneuve, like, in McDonald's or whatever, like, ordering a, a sandwich. And then he gets it and he's like, I deeply love it. Or at the end of uh, the Chipotle lineup where they say, Is this perfect for you today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I deeply love it. I deeply love it. Uh, uh, so we're doing an Edgar Wright movie, but yeah. we don't know which one. We're yeah, gonna we'll do a poll. Poll. We have a hunch of who's gonna win. Hey, uh, hey, James, how do I, how do, how do I participate? How do I do the poll? Well, Riley, you can stop talking to me like that, and then tweet at us <laughs> at Carpool Critics or email us carpoolcriticspodcast at gmail.com. But the polls are on Twitter. That's where all the polls are. I deeply love it. <laughs> What's love you? And what about the title drop in this movie? Finally, at the end, they say Breakfast Club. No context. Not great. Doesn't make any sense. It's not great. I don't know. Sounds I like it. Drop. It makes to me it always made sense to be like they're in there in the morning. Do we need to teach them how to do a title drop? Uh, teach John right now. Hugh? Yeah, teach John Hughes in the grave. And that's why we're called and the Carpool Critic. It turns out that we were a white guy, a white guy, and a white guy. Sincerely, who's yours. half ginger. <laughs> What kind of ginger? No! David. Two and a half white males. (laughs) (laughs) Sincerely yours. Okay, this is Riley with a quick side note to defend my synopsis. What I meant by each one of them being inside the other is that There's a difference between the letter that's read at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, the letter reads to the teacher, you see us as an athlete, a brain, a princess, etc. But at the end of the movie, the letter is different. It says, we found out that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a princess, etc. Meaning that all of them have elements of those archetypes inside them. So that's what I meant. And it makes sense. I'm not crazy.